Hey, welcome back to the Back to Back Show. My name is Benyam Ephraim, and we have another great conversation today with a software engineer named Bakari Holmes. He currently works at 23andMe, and I think we had a great conversation. He has a wide-ranging background, everything from physics to game development to switching between different positions, learning different languages, and now he's currently a software engineer at 23andMe. He has a lot to share with us. Before we get to the show, first, I want to say the show notes will be at backtobacksui.com slash show two. That is B-A-C-K-T-O-B-A-C-K-S-W-E dot com slash show two. If you have not rated this podcast, give us a rating. It'll help us out, help us do more of these and have really interesting conversations with different kinds of engineers. So without further ado, let's welcome Mr. Holmes and let's begin the conversation. All right, so welcome to the podcast, Mr. Holmes. First off, I just want to ask you to Introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? Um, and kind of bring us into what you do. Sure. So as you said, uh, I'm Bakari Holmes. Um, Mr. Holmes is kind of funny you call me that because um, that's what my students used to call me. So I yeah. feel like an old man <laughs> when people call me. <laughs> I'm not that old. No, um, you're not. You, you're doing <laughs> but I'm, I'm a software engineer. Um, right now, uh, I'm at 23andMe. I have been there a year and a half. Um, I guess we're going to dig into my background so we can kind of talk about how I got there. But yes, I, uh, I'm a full stack software engineer. The stacks I work in mainly are JavaScript and Python. I work a lot in Python and AWS these days. But yeah, uh, 23 is a great company, um, great culture. Actually, my wife works there. And, you know, I'm just great to be here with, with Ben, this guy whose videos I've been watching. And now, <laughs> you know, we're doing a podcast together, so. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, definitely honored to be here. Yeah, so this is kind of like a quick question, but are are you were you born here? Because I'm like Ethiopian American in descent and stuff. Uh, good question. I was born and, and raised in in uh, the United States in California, actually in the Bay Area. Oh, cool. Even cool. more specifically, um, cool. but most of my brothers and sisters we have African names because mm-hmm. um, my parents. It's very important to my parents that um, we have a connection to our culture, when I say our culture, our culture other than just being, you know, African-American and slavery, mm-hmm. you know, something um, something that at least is more meaningful and that reaches back further. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, my name is Swahili. Yeah. Uh, Swahili. And uh, my, my middle name is Ayinde, actually, uh, which is a Yoruba name. Mm-hmm. And um, my son, I actually named him Ayinde as well. So. Um, and my daughter's name is Kai, which isn't an African name, but it's kind of a, a mixed marriage. Um, I'm black and my wife's white. So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, we were trying to find compromises in terms of culture and the way that we name it, or, or we, the way that we name our kids. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it worked out that way. Sometimes when I meet people, I have to like spell things out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes or, people hear my name, Ben Yum, like it's spelled Ben Yam, like yam, like the vegetable. I think it's a vegetable. But yeah, some yeah, that's a funny thing. But yeah, cool, cool. So that's your kind of background and stuff. So jumping into the first question, kind of how did you get into computer science? You talked about how you now work with Python, AWS. We'll get into all that, the stacks you worked with throughout your sure. um, career. But kind of what were, what were your first starts in computer science and what got you into this? Um, I'd say my start in computer science was playing video games growing up. 
you know, I grew up playing on consoles, like the early, early consoles. And in about, I think it was eighth grade. I have to check with my mom, but I think it was like eighth grade. I took my first programming class and it was in basic. So we were doing like basic, really basic stuff. I didn't really, it was interesting because my parents, you know, my parents were programmers in, in, in tech and I, kind of like made this vow to myself that I really, I'm never going to become a programmer. So I kind of like went the other way <laughs> and I went into yeah. science um, and, and then actually was, and went into education. Um, I can't even remember what your question was. It's <laughs> 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 kind of how you got into computer science. Yeah. You, you got yeah, it. Yeah. 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 So and yeah, I, uh, yeah. I kind of took a detour and I'm, I've always been in uh, really curious about how things work and, Kind of how things are put together so i figured physics is like the most fundamental thing you can study about understanding that so i majored in physics i went to san jose state got to do some really cool research um at nasa ames in the uh, space program graduated from san jose state and realized um you know somewhere along the way that working in a lab wasn't for me i, I could you know i figured i could spend 20 25 years trying to make minuscule advancements in our understanding of the universe and that just didn't seem to me like a very exciting career <laughs> mm -hmm. so yeah. and i love yeah. working with people I, I love kids so i said you know i want to still do some something technical um and work with people so teaching seems like you know great uh, a great way to do that so yeah i went into teaching and i, I taught for 12 years in fact uh, the first year i taught music uh i'm a, I'm a musician so i actually uh taught a full music program, uh, you know, beginning, intermediate, advanced band, uh, string orchestra, choir, jazz band. It was, a, it was a crazy year. After that, I actually um, switched into, you know, teaching physics. And then later on, uh, when, when we moved, me, we, I say, you know, me and my wife, uh, this was around 07, we moved. And, uh, and then I got a job teaching physics, and then I got, actually got into teaching astronomy, and then I got into teaching engineering. And while I was teaching engineering, that's kind of when the light went off because I was teaching digital electronics. I was teaching CAD. I was teaching some programming as I was learning material and teaching it to the students. I was like, the light went off like this is really I really enjoy this. This is really what I want to do. And so I decided to go back and get another degree and uh, kind of have a second act in my life. So yeah, I, went, I went back and uh, you know got a degree uh, in software engineering. And then kind of launched my career after that. I, I did a boot camp as well. What was what was that experience like? Um, was it was it in the Bay Area, uh, a coding boot camp? Yes. So mm -hmm. I looked I looked into lots of boot camps. I looked into Hack Reactor. I looked into um, some other ones. I can't remember what their names were. Um, I looked into App Academy. Um, I ended up choosing to go to uh, Coding Dojo, which is one that's down by me. In the south, in the South Bay, because not only not only is doing a boot camp very stressful and very compacted, where you're learning a ton of information in a short amount of time, but you know if you're also commute commuting and you have a family, like I do, right? I have two kids and I have a wife. You know that just adds extra extra strain. So um, I said, you know, there's probably some differences between the boot camps. I couldn't tell, like huge difference in terms of outcomes so i said i figured i'll, I'll do this other boot camp a, it's closer b it's cheaper and 
also they had an accelerated program. So that that fit kind of what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do 15 weeks. I just gotten a degree. I wanted to do four weeks and I didn't want to do Python and Swift and, you know, all of these other things. I just wanted JavaScript. That's all I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, I did the four week JavaScript boot camp. Very intensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that must have been tough. Do you think that it was completely worth it? Did you get everything that you wanted out of it? Or do you think there were some parts of it that could have been improved? Um, let me see. This was three, four years ago. I think it was successful in the sense that for what I paid for, it definitely got me started. It definitely got me some chops and some a deeper understanding and even some apps that I built um, that I deployed that I was able to put on my resume and say, hey, these are things that I built, um, working apps, you know, they're deployed on AWS or Heroku. Here, employees, you can look at them. Uh, and, you know, so sometimes in interviews, they pull them out. They pull up a laptop, they pull them out. Or I have my laptop there. They pull up this web app that I built, you know, and they, you know, they'd be saying, hey, we want something, someone in Angular, someone that knows Angular. I think, hey, I built this in Angular. It's one thing to say, you know, Angular is another thing to have a project where you've built something in Angular and you can talk about the details of how Angular works and, you know, what decisions that you made. It's just a whole nother level of understanding that you can demonstrate. And I think that's what was um, really useful about it. And that's why I went is for that kind of that practical, that practical knowledge, kind of getting practical experience without like being in a job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it gave you something that you could show as like concrete proof of your skills. Yep. Yep. You know, on the other hand, it's very compressed, so they can't cover everything. So some topics they kind of brush over. And so for those topics, I just kind of would, you know, you know, hey, I, I want to go into that later, like React. At the time, we didn't do React. And so later on, I actually did some tutorials on my own in React and I had Accenture and worked in React. But yeah, there were some things that they kind of had to skip over because it was only four weeks. And I mean, I know JavaScript was written in what, a few, probably two weeks? 13 days. So, I mean, there, there's some of it you can't, you can't really avoid, but you know, the four week thing um, definitely was, was tough in terms of breadth, uh, being able to cover a lot of stuff. You were able to cover a few things in depth, which, you know, for me, that got me in the door. So for that, I'm grateful. Also there's relationships, you know, that, that are, that you've kind of form when you're going through this, like, cool but like really horrific experience <laughs> uh -huh, yeah bonding <laughs> other people pain. yeah you're like bonding because you're like all stressing out and you're like oh my gosh we have to do our you know we have to do our belt exam and these things called belt exam where they would give you like a wireframe and you have to like build this full stack app in like two hours so you have to build the data build out the database connection you have to build out the server and, uh the models you have to build out the ui everything like a two hours, and those belt exams were, they're no joke. They still give them, but yeah, just, just things like that. You just kind of, you kind of get bonded. And then some people just didn't make it. They didn't, they just, just, they would just disappear and finish. Most of the folks that I was with were doing the 15 week program. So this was their last four weeks of a 15 week program. But I came in just for the four weeks, just for JavaScript. So let's kind of establish a chronological order here. So you, it was very fascinating. You started out San Jose University studying physics. You did research with NASA 
and mm-hmm. you did that stuff and then you decided hey i want to shift my interests towards software engineering i love teaching um and i want to get into something else um and that's how you kind of got into software engineering you ended up mm-hmm. at cogswell polytechnical and also you taught yourself c sharp is is that something yes. you could talk about a little yes how did i i think it's because i really really wanted to develop games Mm-hmm. And I started out, uh, you know, started out on basic and then, and then, you know, C and then C++. Um, and then I, you know, I did Java and I kind of was doing like all these different languages. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what's a good language for game development? So I started messing around with Unity Engine and was mm-hmm. like, well, I could do it. In, I think they had some variant of JavaScript. I'm not sure if they still do. And they have another language you can develop in. But they have C Sharp. And I was thinking, I'm going to do it in C Sharp because that was the language written by Microsoft. It's widely used in the industry, so I can not only use it for, you know, gaming, but um, but for Unity. Uh, actually, in a class, we were actually doing some Unity development, and then I ended up getting an internship at Sony after that, mm-hmm. uh, working in Unity, uh, working on some uh, free-to-play titles at Sony Sony Studios in San Diego, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, shout out yeah. to that team there; uh, they are awesome. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was fascinating how. The fact that you went into like game game development with C sharp, you taught yourself C sharp, and that kind of uh, melded with your physics background. I thought that was fascinating, and how it yes. kind of transitioned into your PlayStation yes. role. Like that would yeah. kind of incite a passion in you, right? Definitely, and I uh, I also developed in C plus plus because I was doing things like physics simulation, messing around with physics engines because it was like I already have this physics background, and it would be really cool if I could combine that with gaming because lots of gaming has like lots of physics. So I was, you know, messing around with physics engines and, you know, trying to, you know, trying to build, build them from scratch, which was really, really difficult. So I ended up starting to use, you know, existing, existing software, uh, existing physics engines out there. And uh, I didn't get to do any physics per se. While I was at PlayStation, I was mostly an online developer. And it kind of seems like that's been a theme in my, in my career that kind of keeps coming back to the web because it just seems like right now, so much content is delivered through the web. I mean, even this podcast, right? It's delivered yeah. through the web, right? Yeah. Your YouTube, yeah. your YouTube videos, it's delivered through the web. Game, get, you know, gaming and Stadia with Google, right? They're starting to deliver high quality games like through a web browser, basically. I think it's through a web browser. But um, yeah. yeah, so much content these days is delivered through the web. It's like, it just seems like it's something you can't really avoid. And it's something that's good to know about, even if you're not specializing in the web. It's just something that's good to know about if you're, if you're going to be developing. So is is that kind of what took your interest into the web development? Did you ever think about doing mobile development? Did you ever think about maybe doing lower level, like farther lower level development? Like what kind of was there like an internal thought process as to the pathway or was it just obviously web? No, it was it was definitely very deliberate, very deliberate. It was it was a kind of a gradual, gradual evolution. So I actually did uh, before I did web development, I was doing lower level type stuff. So I was doing uh, physics, graphics. What I found is coming out of college, I I realized how hard it was going to going to be to break into the game industry. It's it's hard enough to break into the game industry as a developer because everybody wants to do it. But lots of the physics engine, like developer type positions or graphics 
tech positions like you know Nvidia or Havoc, which was bought out by uh, Microsoft or you know even Ubisoft. Um, you know, I was looking at these some of these bigger companies and even some smaller ones, but it just like the, the standard was so high in terms of years of experience and knowledge that I started to question if that this was a and there also wasn't like a ton of opportunity. It wasn't like like when I looked at web developers, I saw like all this opportunity. And then when I looked at yeah. like, you know, physics or graphics developers, there was like a few positions. And yeah. when when people needed when people needed those types of positions, they really, really needed them and they really, really needed someone to come in and have experience and just like yeah. come in and hit the ground running, not like kind of learn. And for someone so for someone coming out of college that I think that kind of scared me away. And uh, you know, having a family, I'm like, I I wanna I don't want to spend like two years just like being unemployed. So yeah, uh, yeah. that kind of factored in. So I was like, hey, you know what? Why don't I do web development and maybe I could, you know, eventually I can I can do some of this other low level stuff. So you said that the people hiring for these game positions or these these positions in the game development industry are looking for individuals with a lot of experience who can hit the ground running. How do you recommend someone if maybe they're they were back in your position, maybe little experience and they do want to get into those game roles? How can they find their way into one of those positions? Maybe it's working on their own projects, but it's implicitly difficult. But do you, do you, would you recommend them any spe specific set of actions to take to make that transition easy? Yes, it's it's possible, but it's not easy. So what you said about working on projects, having lots and lots of projects of varying degrees of complexity you know, something that you could show to a recruiter, right? That they would be able to get it. And something that you could also show to a physics developer and they'd be like, oh, oh my gosh, here, I'm, I'm using bounding volume hierarchies. I'm using this algorithm, right? Whatever. But just having things to show off, really, really important if you're starting out. Networking is important. It's, it's important across the, in general, but I think knowing folks that are in that space, that are developing, and that's that, actually that's something that I, actively worked on. I went to GDC. I went to, I did the physics and the graphics track. So I was constantly meeting people and constantly, you know, constantly trying to break in, break in. And uh, I almost got hired at this one company. Uh, they're still around. They're in San Francisco. They're a startup. Phil Rosedale um, is the CEO. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be dropping his name on this podcast, but oh well. <laughs> it's <laughs> fine. Up, we'll Phil? cut that out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what I'll up, edit Phil? that out. <laughs> uh, high fidelity that's what it is high fidelity so he he's the one that actually started second life and second life came out and i don't know five oh six or something like that and then high fidelity i think came after that but yeah they uh they actually wanted a physics developer um i just i got to the you know i got to the on-site round and i just you know i didn't i didn't make it and it wasn't whiteboarding it was like yeah. like sitting there they gave me a problem to work on a difficult problem to work on for the day. And so I would like talk with the team and then go to the whiteboard and, you know, and yeah. I was just like, Oh man, this is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of curious about that. What, what kind, what is that interview process like at that onsite you did? Would they ask algorithmic questions? Were these like questions uh, tilted towards game development? What kind of stuff did they ask you? What did that process look like? Actually at high fidelity, I, it wasn't kind of, you know, these, you know, the, 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 
It wasn't the type of questions that you do lots of videos on, right? Yeah. They, I, don't, I don't think they asked any of those. A lot of it was, I mean, they asked about my background and, you know, especially the CEO. I had a, I had a really interesting talk with him because we were talking about audio because, you know, I have such a background in music and, and passionate about sound. So we were talking about 3D audio. So we had a long conversation about that. We had a conversation about race and bias. It was a really, really interesting conversation. We had a, uh, somewhat of a conversation about physics. And then I actually talked to a, a couple of the engineers. They had me in a room like most of the day. They're bringing me water and stuff. And then I um, can't remember if this was the same day or if they brought me back after that. But they had me stay there for like half the day or most of the day. And then, you know, I was like shadowing one of their engineers. And he was like a senior physics developer. And, you know, they had me, um, they had me just working in their code base. Mm-hmm. And they said, we want you to solve this problem. And, you know, he's, here's kind of the parameters. Here's the situation. And I, it was a real problem that they were working on. So yeah, uh, I felt like it was a, a, it gave me a good idea of, you know, what the job would, would be like. And, you know, at the time I was like, I was feeling like it wasn't a fit. Like I went to the, I went to lunch with them. We, we ate at a food truck in San Francisco. So, you know, they really kind of pulled me in, but yeah, it's, it just, it just wasn't a fit. Yeah. Um, on both sides. Okay, cool. So we talked about your beginnings in um, learning physics, transitioning to software engineering, and we talked about the uh, PlayStation internship and all that stuff. And you said you play piano, you did choir, you like tutoring. And then uh, there's another thing. You you joined a tutoring services company and you, you love teaching. So kind of Take me into that. What, what, where did uh, that fit in on this timeline and kind of how did that incorporate yeah. into your interests? So, yeah, that tutoring services is actually my business. Yeah. Uh, it's Allende, it's Allende Tutoring Services. So that's my middle yeah. name. Um, and after I, so when I went back to school, you know, I was now a full-time student and mm-hmm. I was just trying to, you know, make some, some income. And I was like, okay, well, what am I passionate about? Well, obviously I'm passionate about teaching and it's something that I could used to, um, you know, help other people and then, you know, make some money. Um, being in Palo Alto, you know, you can make a decent amount, not a lot, but, you know, just at least a decent amount if you're working a few hours. So I use my contacts uh, here in Palo Alto and, you know, put some ads in the paper and also put some ads out online. And, you know, I took one or two students at a time and um, I would tutor them in math or science or executive functioning you know, how to talk to their teachers, how to navigate, you know, the high school system, you know, talking to them about their goals and, you know, was able to make an impact on uh, lots of students. So I was able, I I was, you know, I didn't lose that connection that I had to teaching and to mentoring people and to educating. Um, I think I'm always going to have a passion for that, no matter where I am. It's funny because even at 23andMe, I find myself gravitating towards younger developers and you know, making sure that I'm like they're onboarded, like mentoring them. And it's just something that I'm not. So if there's any way that I could ever do that as a job where I could be like a developer and then also be working with people as part of my job, that would be cool. That would be like the yeah. ideal job. For me. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, that's something that's something I've pondered as well. I think teaching is one of those most it's one of the most impact. It can have such an impact on an individual them having a great teacher, someone who really cares about their success. And I feel like I, I feel like it's one of those things that isn't valued enough um, 
well, I don't know if I can quantifiably, like, I don't have numbers to back this up, but it's one of those things that I feel like if, if we, if we put more of a focus into, it could have such a huge impact on society as a whole. Um, just having great, like teaching to me is something sacred. I know that that's kind of like crazy to say, but it really yeah. is like you're, you're literally, you are impacting someone at the core core level and setting an example for them, um, beyond the subject that you're even teaching. But nah, that's just my little rant on teaching. I think teaching is cool. So I thought it was cool that you, uh, were so yeah. into it. Hey, you're preaching to the choir. And, um, it's interesting because, um, I taught at Gunn high school in Palo Alto. And uh, this week, actually, we just had it's kind of like this reunion It's called Gun Engineering Night, where students that have that have been in our engineering program, which is for, first of all, it's 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 really unique that we have an engineering program in high school. Anyways, so people that have been on, on our robotics team or in the engineering program and that, you know, they come back, they come back and um, they give a talk. So we'll have anywhere from 10 to 12 people give a talk. We have a keynote speaker. This is all student run. The reason I'm telling you this story is because one of the one of the kids, or I guess I'm calling him a kid because you know he's always a kid to me. He's a, he's an adult now. But one of the one of the guys I was talking to um, that was on the robotics team, we had this conversation after, and it turns out he became a jazz musician, mm. and we started talking about like playing together because I you know I'm I'm a vocalist, and yeah. he's like yeah I have this jazz soul funk band. And he was like, I remember there was this one time that you were in the robotics room and you were teaching me the baseline to fever. And I, I did not remember that. Yeah. It must have been like a five or 10 minute thing where I just went to the piano <laughs> and I was like, doo, 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 doo. and I just taught it to him. And he was he was playing it. And I guess he remembered that. Yeah. But um, like, that's what teaching is. It's like it's yeah. sometimes when it's in your soul, it's just it's just like you're doing it like without without thinking when yeah. you're breathing you know, it's like breathing anyways i can tell that you love teaching just watching your videos and it's kind of something that that drew my drew me to your videos because i'm like this guy a really <laughs> loves teaching and b he knows how to teach like some, some sorry to other some of the other folks doing <laughs> videos on youtube but some of them are like their their content is good but the delivery it's like it's hard to swallow yeah and i really and, i really i really appreciate the way that you break things down yeah yeah sure and one of the most fascinating so this is some, i'm a college student right now i'm finishing on my second year and this is kind of like a phenomenon that i'm witnessing like live because i'm in algorithms right now and the crazy thing is that the professors that teach are a mil not a million but like much 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 smarter like scales of intensity smarter than i might ever be or students might ever be but it is an entirely different skill set to teach a concept versus being extremely brilliant and and teaching is a bridge between that brilliance and one's and and someone who hasn't crossed that bridge yet and to build that bridge it takes it's it's so it's very very difficult and it requires a deep deep empathy for the learner and it requires a deep deep understanding of where their mind is at at any time in the process what are their hang-ups and uh, yeah this is a comment i actually addressed um one one person on the channel said oh you're better than my professors and stuff and i was like no i'm not <laughs> i don't know about that but but yeah in all in all seriousness the thing is i don't think that 
any of my videos or like any of the stuff teaching that I do is inherently better. It's just, I think it's the fact that I'm in the learning process as well as I have certain topics that I fully understand. It gives me that deep empathy to see the hangups and to clarify every single sticking point that could possibly happen in that little path of building that bridge. And yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of my take on that. It's, it's really, I think, yeah, I think that aspect of like designing a lesson and um, building effective teaching is something that fascinates me. I think it's something that's really important, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yep. That was a second rant by me. Um, So, we talked about, okay, beginning physics. You taught yourself a lot of stuff, got a lot of experience in different languages, technologies. You got into developing games, and then you had your tutoring services company, which you love doing because you love teaching. And then you went to work at Accenture for a period of time doing um, JavaScript, and you were yep. a senior software engineer. And I have a few yep. questions about that. So you you were a senior JavaScript um, software engineer, kind of. What what does that role entail, being a, a senior engineer? And is that something that you immediately jumped into or kind of how did you progress towards that? Is that a role you just applied for? Or? Yes. So I uh, so first of all, Accenture has these titles that are internal that are really, really confusing to people. And then mm-hmm. so they have these like plain English titles that are uh, equivalent. So when I was applying... I can't remember what the internal title was. It was such and such and such and such. We were negotiating my salary. I had two other offers. I had an offer not only from Accenture, but I also had an offer from SAP and from AdStage. So yeah, I had three offers. Um, this was coming out of this was a few months out of college, and so I was you know I was negotiating back and forth. Part of the negotiation was they were going to raise my salary. They were going to raise my. Um, I'm not going to say the number. But they, were, yeah, they, yeah. they raised my offer to a certain amount. But that meant now I was a senior engineer. Yeah. Which meant more expectation, right, in yeah. terms of the speed, the knowledge of knowledge and independence that, you know, I needed to have as an engineer, which kind of was good and bad because it put a lot of pressure on me. Like as soon as I started, like it put a lot of pressure on me to deliver things quickly and with high quality to be able to be independent in research and learn, which I which I love doing, but it's like now it's like the gun, like someone not holding a gun to your head, but like yeah. I, I guess yeah, it's kind of like high that. Pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just very very high pressure, and so it was not only the you know being a senior engineer, um, and you know I was able to deliver and I was able to learn a ton, working mm-hmm. six months at Accenture because at Accenture everyone's essentially a contractor, so you're going from contract to contract to contract, you know from um, you know, maybe you're working for company A, then you're working for company B or doing a project for company B, even though you're employed by Accenture or you're doing something internal to Accenture. So I was going from project to project to project. And a lot of times we were spinning up, we were spinning up these stacks very, very quickly. And so some of it involved also building reference architecture, like, a, you know, a no backend and MongoDB database and, you know, maybe a React front end with Redux you know, spinning that up and then having that reference architecture. So the next time we wanted to uh, build, that architecture was there for us to build off of. Up and down the stack too. Yeah. I was doing like front end stuff and then I would do like heavy database stuff. But yeah, it was it was a lot. It was like it was like a year. <laughs> yeah. It was so, like a year. Yeah, yeah. So by stacks, do you mean kind of 
those abstractions you guys were creating for the future projects you'd make? What, when no, you stack, stack is not abstract. It's so like when I say a stack, I say, you know, what is your server built in? Okay, well, it's built in JavaScript. Okay, so yeah. like tech stack. The JavaScript. Yeah, the tech stack. Exactly. Okay, okay, That's what okay. I mean by the tech stack. So we'd be spinning okay. up these stacks, right? Maybe you're you're building a portal, right? Where people are going to sign up for workshops mm. and, um, you know, speakers need to be able to access it. Workshop attendees need to be able to access it. This is a complex app, right? It needs to be able to email attendees and kind of keep track of what their workshop, workshop schedule is and the speakers. It needs to email them and say, hey, you know, you have a workshop coming up and these are your, you know, these are your attendees. So like that would be something that needs like a full stack solution. So in some cases, we're building it from scratch really quickly. In some cases, it was lots of legacy code. So we had to go in, just kind of fix things up or modernize modernize some of the pieces of the, of the stack while working with some of the older parts of the stack. Was that a large difficulty working with that legacy code and refactoring it? Were there ever points where it was just very difficult? Was there a lot of like technical debt accumulated from- Yes, and yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of being a software engineer. You know, lots of times you're not really going to be, unless you're at like a, maybe a small company, you're not going to be building something from scratch. You're going to be working in someone else's code base. You're going to be working with code someone else wrote before. You're going to be writing your own code on top of that or in, in, in that or related to that. But yeah, for the, for the most part, I've worked in code bases that were already established, particularly at the larger companies or mid-sized companies, I guess. You're always making decisions. Like you mentioned technical debt. You're always making decisions that may serve you in, in, the, in the now, but have implications in the future. Um, so, you, you know, you mentioned technical debt, right? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen if we leave this piece of the stack in and, you know, five years down, five years down the road, you know, what are we, what are we doing to ourselves? What are we doing to the developers? Like, are yeah. we going to be spending time correcting this, you know, maybe not so wise decision, or maybe it is, is it's a, it is a good decision for now for five, for the next five years. Maybe the amount of time it would take to rip it out and put in something new, it's just not worth it. Um, yeah. So, again, as a senior engineer, those are the types of decisions you have to make or mm -hmm. at least be involved in. Okay, cool. So that was your role at Accenture. Um, you had a lot of responsibility. You dealt with a lot of technology technologies, wide-ranging applications, and then you had a developer relations role at, at Roblox. Kind of take me into that. What was that transition like from Accenture? Yeah. Um, what did that look like? So yeah, after my tenure at Accenture, actually at, during my tenure at Accenture, a really good friend of mine, he actually said, hey, you know, I work at this great company called Roblox. I actually have the shirt on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They can't see it. <laughs> they can't see it because it's all audio. But yeah, he's like, "Hey, you should you should apply at my company." And I was like, "Oh, you know, okay, I'll check it out." So I applied. Yeah. And I was looking at different positions. And you remember how I mentioned? It seems like I've gravitated not only well, I've I've gravitated towards uh, positions that have a, a a mix of skills. I require a mix of skills. And in this case, yeah. developer relations. Basically, what I was doing is I was working. Uh, as a part of a small team, because the developer relations arm of the of Roblox was just starting at the time. There's one guy named Laker who he had built a lot of the tutorials. He had built a lot of the API documentation. He had done all that on his, on his own, and he'd done an amazing job 
but the scale of Roblox was just growing so much that, you know, they needed to bring on some, some more folks to kind of help out. And with me, with my teaching background and my development background and my web background and my gaming background, <laughs> it was uh, a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, okay, this is, this is great. You know, yeah. writing tutorials, writing blogs, you know, gathering feedback from the developer community, the Roblox developer community, taking that back to taking that back to the developers in the form of like maybe bug reports or maybe making tutorials or making game samples and then posting that on a blog, posting that on, uh, on a tutorial. So, so that, yeah, that's what I worked on. I was involved in education a bit because we kind of had an education arm. And all that was called information experience. And I guess that's kind of a newfangled term for just, you know, instead of UX, it's user experience. It's just information experience. It's how you experience information. It's how you sequence information and how you, for your, in, in this case, for your developer community, how you structure it so they're supported the way that they need to be supported and it meets your company goals and, it, you know, meets their goals for, mm -hmm. for whatever. Because they may be a beginning developer, right? They may be a medium tier developer. They may be an advanced developer. They may be a developer that gets hired by Roblox, which is what we did. Actually, um, we actually hired top developers, kids. Some of these kids would like they would develop these games on Roblox and they'd be making like so much money. They would like buy their parents a house, buy a car. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. Pay their, pay their way through college. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy. Pretty inspiring. So some of these kids were able to do. And still are. I think right now Roblox is at 90 million monthly active users, um, 3 million plus developers. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people. And, and kind of what, at, at what point in Roblox's size did you join? Do you remember that? or uh, They were at about, I think was at 300 when okay. I joined. Okay. Less than 400, because I think I remember us passing the 400 mark while I was there. And they've since moved buildings. They were like at one building. And then we just like, we outgrew the building. We were like in this little building, like that was like down an alley. It was kind of like in, in a sketch neighborhood. That wasn't a sketch neighborhood, but it yeah. just looked like sketchy. <laughs> like the air conditioning would go, you know. Would... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, wow, we're like a tech company. And we're just in this janky building. Yeah. But yeah, it was a uh, it was about three hundred. I don't I don't know what their count is now. Yeah, yeah. So so you're kind of wrapping up at Roblox, and then after Roblox is you finding the position at Twenty Three and Me, and you seem to love Twenty Three and Me, and we'll we'll get all into that. Um, and kind of take me into the transition when your time at Roblox was kind of ending and your transition started beginning to 23andMe. Kind of what were the factors in you moving to 23andMe? Um, how did you find your way into the company? Um, kind of mm -hmm. take me through that. So I didn't want to leave Roblox, to be honest, yeah. um, initially. But there was actually a restructuring in the developer relations department. So when the restructuring happened, my position was eliminated. And I was asked, you know, you know, hey, you can apply for another team within Roblox. So I was doing that. I was applying for another team within Roblox. At the same time, I was also interviewing at other companies. I was interviewing at Netflix. I was interviewing at Facebook. I started the process again as time number two at Google. <laughs> yeah. And this angel who his name, Julie Holmes, who I happen to be married to. Hi, Julie. Shout out to Julie, my wife. She said, hey, you know, 
um, she works at 23 and me. Yeah. In legal. She said, Hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you apply at 23 and me? And, and at first I was kind of like, nah, I'm not sure. I don't know, I don't yeah. know about all that biotech stuff. I ended up applying and going, you know, going and meeting, you know, the developers and, you know, like walking through the building and just the energy in the building and the family. It was just like a family atmosphere. It's right up the street from our house. You know, uh, I had been commuting to San Mateo right before yeah. that. The development work was really, really interesting in terms of genetics and uh, understanding the human genome and then turning around and taking that understanding and allowing people to benefit from it uh, health-wise, not only in understanding who they are, but also in crafting treatments for diseases and uh, things of that nature and working with other companies to who are also trying to combat different diseases that um, if you introduce a genetic component, if you introduce genetic data, that you be able to speed along the development of, of drugs or treatments. So um, anyways, I interviewed a 23andMe and uh, that interview process was different than Roblox and it was different than Accenture. At 23andMe actually, I was accidentally marked as an intern. <laughs> yeah. So I came in and they were like, I could tell that, I could like obviously tell these people are younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> so they had me with the interns and then they like they paired us up because this was like an on-site it was like an on-site with the intern and they paired us up with different folks and they paired me up with one of the directors of engineering and he got my resume and he looked at it and he was like do you want to work full-time and i was like actually yeah i'm glad you asked that i really don't <laughs> want to be an intern I'm, I'm looking for something full-time yeah and so he asked me some questions about my background and then he also asked me um, if I was interviewing somewhere else. And I said, yeah, you know, I have a Facebook interview and I have this interview and that interview. He said, OK. And so he had me do a project or they had me do a project uh, that had to do with 23andMe's API, which now is closed. So you can't do it anymore. But um, they had me do this project and it was in, you know, I chose to do it in JavaScript because, you know, I like JavaScript. Um, so I did that project and um, I actually didn't finish the whole project, but I talked about my approach. I, I finished like 80, 90% of it. But then I talked about the other, for the other 10%, this is what I would do and this is how I would approach it. It had something to do with rendering something server side. And it was like, I had I had a certain amount of time and I couldn't finish in that amount of time. So, you know, I, I sent in what I had and I, I wrote an explanation of what I would do. And so then I had two phone interviews um, technical phone interviews that were, you know, coding uh, mm -hmm. phone interviews. And then, you know, I nailed those. And then I thought I was going to have an on-site interview where, you know, you go through the whole thing, the whole gamut of on-sites, which is typical at tech companies. Uh, so someone called me who I thought was going to say, okay, we're going to talk about an on-site. And they actually gave me an offer right there on the spot. And it was a very... Let's just say it was a very generous offer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I immediately accepted. I said, let's do this. And so, yeah, the 22nd of January, 2018, I started at 23andMe. And it's been quite a journey there. And I've learned a ton. I've learned a ton about genetics. I've learned a ton about biology. Um, but I've also been able to uh, contribute to some you know, high-profile projects. And also learned a lot of Python. 
been able to work in because mm-hmm. almost everything we work in is Python. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where a lot of my Python chops came from. Is just you know being thrown into a situation where it's like, okay, we're developing in Python and you got to do this. And one of my friends who also went to my boot camp, who got hired there before I did, he gave me some really, really, really good advice. Okay, I'm gonna give you this advice. I'm gonna pass this okay. on. All the, all the, all the, all the listeners out there. Because I was really nervous that I was a JavaScript guy and I was coming in, and I was gonna be working in Python, and like all these other people that knew Python, or so I thought, right? And he said, you know what? What you need to do is you just take it one ticket at a time, task at a time. Just solve that ticket. And then when the next one comes, you build off of that. You solve that ticket. And then you solve that other ticket. You know, just do it one ticket at a time. That totally helped me realize I can do that. Because if you think about the scope of a ticket, it's like, it's small. It's usually like maybe a, a couple days, or a few days at the most, you know. Um, yeah. So that that really helped me. So I just one ticket at a time, one ticket at a time, one ticket at a time. It's gotten me through and has helped me to succeed. It was really, really mm-hmm. good advice. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Holmes, for giving me your time today to interview you. Um, really appreciate it. So have a great day. Yep. You too, Ben. Hey, it's Ben again. And that is the interview. It was really interesting. We talked about a lot of things. Again, Mr. Holmes has a wide range of experiences. And it was fascinating hearing all the different kinds of transitions in his progression through his career as he's gone through it. So I hope you could have picked up even one cool thing from this podcast one cool lesson from hearing his experiences and that is all we have so if you have not subscribed to the youtube channel check us out on youtube back to back sui we also have a website back to back this podcast is all about helping software engineers find the job of their dreams and helping people hear about the different experiences software engineers have working in industry so that's what it is all about this is ben and adios